From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. So, you know, we're all getting through these. Well, I think we, I feel like we understand what you've gone through, Zach. Like, we finally <laughs> understand. Yeah, we have our hey, we're not even talking about parenting today. this time. Oh, I thought no. you were talking about parenting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. I think Zach's going through a whole different trip than we are with the parenting <laughs> thing. He's a little bit further ahead. But... No, I'm talking about the wildfires. It's been insane here. Yeah. Insane. Pretty scary. It is. It's, it's one of those things where you just, you know, you don't think about how oppressive it can be to live in a place where you can't breathe uh, yeah. very comfortably until you do it. And then it sucks really yeah, hard. Totally. Totally. It's like, it, it. I did see a lot of tweets from people on the West Coast being like, the East Coast only cares what happens to them. And yes, that is true. That's true of everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like, nothing feels real unless it's happening to you or someone you know, know. really well. Like, I, I find, I mean, do I feel like my Instagram feed needed to be 90% uh, <laughs> photos of New York in orange haze? Like, no, probably yeah. not. But, you know, like, that's fine. It's, it's, it, we don't, we don't really, you know, we don't really know how to process these things these days besides putting it on social exactly. media. I'm as guilty as everyone else, to be clear. I'm not, there's no, there's no shade thrown here. But, uh, yeah, it is. It is a. It's a powerful reminder of how connected we all are, whether totally. we want to be or not. I did see a funny tweet that someone you know tweeted, you know, posted something like, "The New York media elite only cares when it happens to them. We deal with this in San Francisco, you know, every summer." And then someone responded, "Thanks for gatekeeping wildfires, San Francisco." <laughs> it's like so funny. My favorite was just. The New York skyline photo with Godzilla superimposed. Oh, yeah. Felt very so appropriate. Good. That was really good, too. Uh, so before we kick off today's subject matter, our esteemed editor-in-chief, Joanna, what articles, content, etc. on VinePair have you been the most interested in this week? I'm interested in all of it, Adam. That's what you have to say. Mm-hmm. I can I can be more honest. <laughs> um, well, one we didn't talk about last week was um, Aaron Goldfarb's most recent article about generic beer uh-huh. from the 70s and 80s. So fascinating. Uh, I love how he ca- like kind of catalogs drinks history for us. Um, but if you look at this beer um, that they used to sell that sold really well back in the day, it, the aesthetically... We're seeing this today, and I just think that's so fascinating. It's pretty amazing. I think he, he just has, like, a a really good way of finding the most – the quirkiest stories possible and making them interesting. Mm-hmm. Aaron's very talented that way. Yes. So I, I love that article. Um, I also – I haven't finished listening to today's Cocktail College episode, but it's on the vodka soda. And, yeah, with Nacho Jimenez and um, – so far, it's it's a good episode. I mean, it's cool too. I mean, it's it's by far the the hottest bar right now in New York. Super, Super bueno, bueno, yeah, yeah which is Nacho's new bar. He used to be the head bartender of Ghost Donkey, mm-hmm. um, that sadly closed. I used to love that place. Um, so yeah, that's I, that's a great episode. The thing that I thought was this one's like much more inside baseball. I think some of our listeners will know th- about this this piece of content we ran earlier this week, this article, but uh, about Mark Brown. Mark Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting because. If you are in the industry, it is highly likely that you are subscribed to Mark Brown's newsletter. And it's funny how many people are subscribed that don't know that he's the CEO of Sazerac. Uh, I'll be like, oh, you know, people be like, oh, did you read, did you read this Mark Brown this week? And I'll be like, oh, yeah. 
I was like, you know, he's a CEO of Saks. Like, wait, what? He's a person? He's a yes. And I think there's there is a lot of fear in the uh, industry that this newsletter is going to go away because he is announced that he's retiring at the end of June. Well, he's stepping into the yeah. other role, right? The chairman role, yeah. right? And, <laughs> and stepping down from Sazerac. It's, it's been an eight-year succession plan, right? Mm-hmm. But he's really done an amazing job at that company. And, you know, uh, we interviewed a lot of people who talked about how this newsletter really exists because he's always been – all about sharing knowledge in the industry and so he has no problem having you know the top executives from all of his competitors subscribe to this uh he compiles the new people think he still does it himself compiling the news at like three in the morning yeah. or something and sending it, it out seems that way it's right? pretty insane he writes personal notes i thought you know it was really nice like this week for example he wrote a personal note about the passing of ivan uh Mendes, who was the CEO of Diageo who passed away suddenly uh, earlier this week Um, and you know he always writes really amazing notes and personal anecdotes and things like that and then runs all of the content republishes entire articles um, which no one seems to have a problem with including us Uh, but it's interesting because yeah people are like where if this goes away I think there's a huge uh, you know amount of the industry who doesn't know where they're going to get all, they're going to have to do the work themselves right he's done the he does the work for everybody here's what these here's what this company's earnings were this month here's you know here's what's trending here's what's happening in, in alcohol science here's what's happening in sort of hangover issues and legislation against alcohol or for alcohol like he really compiles it all he does wine he does beer sometimes he like dives in a little bit to like soda and just restaurant chains and things like that especially major ones and it's super fascinating that he has done this for so long, and I think people have really come to rely on it. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens now that he's retiring. Um, and Zach, what about you? What what on the site really piqued your interest this week? Well, you know, a couple of things. One, a little bit of news that I thought was really interesting, even though we've sort of seen it coming for quite a while, is the news that um, Modelo Especial has passed Bud Light as the you know top selling Number beer one. in the US. See ya. Which is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is obviously the confluence of several different trends perhaps, but you know truly, you know, I think all of us when we podcasted about Modelo Especial last year and and sort of the the totally shocking uh, you know kind of sales figures that they were hitting sort of un- totally under the radar to most certainly in the beverage alcohol media and and even a lot of people maybe in the trade who don't work with it and or don't work in those some of those venues and so to see it kind of live up to that promise of of achieving this top spot was was kind of interesting and something i took note of and but of course the piece that i think hit closest to home for me and was most interesting and i think we're gonna spend some time talking about was sadal mccall's piece about um you know basically did i waste my time and money on wine certifications i thought it was a really interesting I mean, it's an interesting topic first of all and as you know a person with one of these certifications obviously <laughs> i thought a lot about it and have thought a lot about it before and i, I want to kind of i don't want to spend a lot of time you know talking about my thoughts right this moment but i do think one interesting thing that's brought up here um in this piece is in a challenge in assessing a topic like this is we have seen a, a proliferation of these types of certifications you know not just more people pursuing them but more of them becoming prominent and i think that is a piece of this conversation as well as perhaps some of the individual strengths and weaknesses let's say of the organizations that do this um, accrediting in one form or another so 
I obviously have many, many thoughts, but I, oh, I know yeah. the two of you also do. And as people who kind of might look at this with a different perspective than I do, what do, what do your what was your take? I think that for the most part, it's a fucking racket. Hmm. And I think that, you know, it is I think these certification programs at the end of the day are businesses and they exist in order to return value for the people that own those businesses. And while I believe that there are a few select restaurants for which or professions for which the certification matters and usually to the owner, right? Mm -hmm. I do not think that overall the certifications, if we were to look at historically the average amount of people that are placed in higher paying jobs or jobs in general, especially in certain parts of our industry from the certifications matter. Now, if I if you are going into high-end fine dining service, I can see the case being made, right? That's historically what fine dining has cared about is especially the the court of master sommeliers, right? Mm. You know, that's problematic for other reasons at this point, but still it matters. In the same way that like, yeah, I get it, right? You cannot practice dermatology without going to get your MD and then you know, going to have some residency, mm -hmm. right? Like see, it just, it is what it is. But this is, I think one of the ways in which this whole thing is not akin. It likes to take on the valence of something that serious yeah, and that I think important, you're right, yeah. but it's really not. I mean, I think the, the truth of it is, is that, you know, we can look at a lot of professions, including I think journalism is one where, you know, you can have a, bachelor's or a master's in journalism and it can you can be a great journalist or you can be someone with all kinds of different experience and That's you don't true. you have to be good at the job itself and i think the court and other of these accrediting bodies and i think we can take a couple of them separately in a moment but they want the both they want everyone involved the prospective um a striver for these certifications and the people who will be perhaps employing them or buying wine from them or whatever to treat this pathway as the only way to have confidence in the person as a professional. And I just, that is to me the biggest misnomer about all this, which is the, there are lots of great wine professionals and sommeliers who have all of these certifications and there are others who have yeah. none of them. And the certifications themselves confer some amount of, you know, kind of, they, they say something about you, but they don't say everything about you. And while I wouldn't go to a doctor who wasn't a doctor, right? I would go to a, sommelier or a wine professional who had no formal accreditation if they were good at what they did because it's not a science and it's not medicine for sure well yeah i mean i, I think I, I appreciate that correction i mean i think the example i was giving is not a great one actually <laughs> i think i think where it i think what this proves right is these certifications only matter if they matter to the person doing the hiring and usually the person doing the hiring is a person who's probably gotten that certification themselves Right. So as you're right. So very famous master Sam in Colorado says he only hires people who get a certain kind of certification. Sure. Right. That's fine. That's his choice. Just like I know a lot of editors and, you know, um, 
you know, editors in the journalism world who only hire people who go to who get a master's in journalism, right? That was very it was very well known for a very long time that like that was a position that certain papers had that like you had to go to one of the top four to five journalism schools if you wanted to have especially if you wanted to have a job right out of college. Yeah. Right? You had to have a degree from there. In the same way that like some of the companies that, you know, we talk about all the time in the drink space used to have policies they've changed but one of the big ones the biggest actually used to have a policy like you could not work for them and be a brand manager without an mba Mm -hmm. that has changed because the people at the top don't have those degrees necessarily anymore right and i think that that that's the same here um but like the thing that was has been really striking to me and i'm curious what joanna thinks about this is how many people I find get the certification you want to go into writing. And for me, I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah, um, I think that I agree with that. Um, And to Zach's earlier point, like there are so many of like so many different certifications at this point that it's 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 kind of a jumble. I think like an alphabet soup, right? Like Mm -hmm. and also and and also, I just feel like getting these certifications in many instances doesn't necessarily mean that you know what you're talking about or yeah. doesn't isn't, you know, isn't the same as having any kind of practical experience. Sure, you have a certification, you want to write a piece about wine, but it doesn't make you a good writer or like, sure, you have the certification, you want to work in in wine or in service, um, but maybe it doesn't make you good at that either. You know what I mean? For sure. And I think on the professional side, the service side, I think there are a lot of people who view pursuing these certifications, these titles as being something of a shortcut. It seems silly to talk about it because obviously these things are difficult to achieve in some cases. They're certainly time consuming and expensive. And And expensive, yeah. Those -hmm. are things that I want to talk about in a moment. but, But I think there are people who see getting to the advanced or master sommelier level through the quarter master sommeliers or maybe the diploma or master of wine level through WSET as being sort of a shortcut for a decade plus of experience in whatever industry. And while I think that there is value to pursuing these things in some sense, and obviously you do learn a lot, the more time I've spent in the beverage alcohol industry on all sides or a lot of sides, the, the less it seems to be to me about being able to command a great deal of technical knowledge at a moment's notice, because the truth is, is that there are very few jobs in the industry that really call upon that in any mm-hmm. meaningful way. And instead, you know, certainly on the service side, as we've talked about many times on the pod, being good at serving your customers is rarely about having incredible depth of knowledge and a lot more about experience, intuition, just kind of customer service instincts, those kinds of things. And, you know, the the number of people who come in and, you know, Adam was sort of getting at this at the very beginning, talking about the very few places in this country or even globally where the expectation is so high on the wine service side. Because the truth is, is that there just aren't very many places where the guest is going to come in and be like, my sort of desired interaction with the sommelier or wine professional is like to grill them about wine. There was like a wave of that and it probably still happens. But like when the Psalm movie first came out and like there was this whole like, oh, well, like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see if this Psalm knows what the hell they're talking about. And like, let's, (laughs) let's ask them some questions. And like, I just, I think that dissipated, thank God. 
And I think that, you know, for the most part, if you want to talk to people about, if you want to ask your server or your sommelier or whatever about wine, you're going to just mostly focus on getting a wine that you want that's at the price point you want. And I think the other piece of it is, and this is a huge issue in, in the sommelier circles right now, is that the higher, you know, you, you end up in this this problem where you have this kind of oversupply of people who are, in their eyes, at least highly qualified for, you know, head sommelier, wine director type jobs, mm-hmm. and just not very many of them available. And they don't pay, in many cases, enough to compensate people for the amount of time and money they put into passing these you know, exams, again, you know, even in a best case scenario for someone who passes their advanced sommelier and master sommelier exams on the first go, and that's extremely rare, we're talking about $20,000 of outlay and I don't know how many hundreds of hours of time to just get to that. And that's without ever having to retest. And most people do at least once. And it's just like you come out of that and it's like, well, you expect to get paid I don't know, $150,000, $200,000 a year to do a job that someone else can do for half that. And it's just, it's just a bad, you know, it's just, it doesn't make any sense for anyone involved, except that, as Adam said, there are a few places that still see that pin or those pins as being kind of just the table stakes for, for doing the job. But outside of that, it's just, it's hard to see where, where the upside is for a lot of people pursuing these things other than they just they think it gives them credibility and in some eyes it certainly does i don't mean to say it doesn't convey that from some people but it's unclear what that credibility really gets you yeah i think what i was going to say is that for me it seems like there are fewer present day applications for these types of certifications i think 10 years ago 20 years ago it would have been different but like you're saying, Zach, like so many we've seen so many restaurants in New York opt to skip a SOM position for somebody on the floor who can just, you know, take wine orders um, and maybe without that expertise. But it seems to be fine. Yeah. Manage uh, the restaurant, actually. Do payroll, like right. do scheduling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that problem of the SOM who only wants to do the wine stuff is definitely a challenge for restaurants. I mean, setting aside the sort of like. How do you make it work if the, you know, if the sommelier isn't also, you know, a manager in some form or another, but just that kind of attitude of like, well, my job is wine. I don't run food. I don't clear tables. I don't fill water glasses. I serve wine. And I mean, again, that that attitude can come with or without certifications. But I think when you have that big shiny pin on your lapel, it it creates in some people an attitude of like, you know, elitism, honestly, which is not yep, shocking yep. at all. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that these certifications also can, like, perpetuate the idea that wine is, like, elitist yeah. and exclusive. And uh, I think that's really unattractive to a lot of people. And, yeah. I mean, look, if you've been listening to this podcast for a very long time, you, we, I've said this before, but, like, you know, when we look at especially full-time staff for Vine Pair on the editorial side, like we almost, we don't look down on you for having the certification, but like I think it's much more important that you have a background in journalism and whether that's you have a degree and you've written great places or you just happen to have a great experience writing other places because the our perspective is like we'll teach you, right? It's much harder to become a really good writer than it is to pass a few exams in WSET. But also if you want to take those exams and you want to get yeah. those certifications, great. That's totally fine. But that it's not a prerequisite for us. Yeah. And I think this is where the whole 
notion of why these things were created in the first place has been flipped on its head. My understanding, mm-hmm. as best as I can, is that in, in the, some cases of both the Quartermaster Sommeliers and the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, WSET, they were created in certain ways as an, a, a way to validate existing professionals who had who were at or near the top of their field, but the 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 outside person, the layperson, had no way of knowing that, and that when you were a ten or fifteen or twenty year veteran of the industry, you probably had most, if not all, of the requisite experience and knowledge to pass those exams in those days. And it was more of a like, hey, we we want to recognize these people. We want to create a sort of uh, community of of top professionals and and recognize them in important ways. And what's happened now, like I said before, is that instead of the achieving these upper levels as a signifier of having reached a point in your career where you are, you know, established, you've done it for a while, you have built this body of knowledge through through sort of the hard work of work. People, again, are just like, it is essentially a diploma of sorts. I mean, obviously, WSET has its own literal diploma level. But the idea being that this is not, especially the quartermaster of is not a school. It's not an educational body at all. It is a accreditation body, I guess you could say. And because of that, again, like I said, people view it as a shortcut. They, they view it as a way to get to a level that was, I think, intended to be a place you reached only after a pretty decent length career in wine. And, you know, I get why for a variety of reasons, these bodies have not restricted the inflow of people. Again, as Adam said, there's money at stake here. And and when someone wants to pay you to do that, to take these exams, as long as they're plausibly qualified, it's going to be hard to say no. But again, to me, if you have a system like the master, the quartermaster only is one where someone can go from the intro level through passing the master sommelier level in as little as five or six years, that just, that's just not enough time to be a master of anything, regardless of how you do on a test. Like I just don't buy it especially because in a lot of those cases, if you're really that single-minded about passing it, you're probably not even really working in restaurants and stuff. You don't have time. You know, you're, you're spending so much time studying that, you know, you're, you're kind of maybe doing some token shifts so that you can check the box that says like, yeah, I work in the industry, but like the, the notion of someone who's, yeah, just like five or six years into their career or seven or eight, even, or even, I don't know, 12 into their career, being a master of that subject matter just does not sit right with me because it really kind of downplays a, the professional sort of reality of what a sommelier is. And you know, really kind of creates this system where the people who have the means in terms of time and money to really sort of hyper-focus on this are prioritized over people who, for practical considerations, because they have to work for a living, they have to support perhaps a family, cannot pursue these things because they just don't have the time to compete with someone who has tens of thousands of dollars at their disposal and infinite time to focus on this because that's kind of what it's become. Yeah. I mean, I think I think all those points are very, very, like, accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say on point. Those points are on point. <laughs> um, I mean, the thing that I thought was so interesting about this article, too, is just because I've never gone through it all, I didn't realize all of the other requirements 
that they sort of the, even these organizations place on you in order to move to some of these next levels, right? Like the fact that you can't become a master of wine unless you're working full time, like to full time in the wine industry, like all of that stuff was so interesting and how expensive it is and that people travel to take these tests. And yeah, I mean, Sedale says there's scholarships, but like there's so few and far between. I have to imagine they're insanely competitive and I I get I mean I kind of I guess feel like the only reason to do these certifications at this point is like if you want to do it as Joanna said for your own knowledge or because maybe you know you have the expendable income and you want to be able to like learn a little bit more about wine and you know it's a hobby but again I just I don't see how this actually helps the majority of people in their careers. Like when I've talked to the people that I really admire in the industry, almost none of them who or not even that I admire that have been very successful. Almost none of them have this certification on the producer side, on the marketing side, on the, you know, buyer side, on the journalism side. Like, you know, Eric Asimov doesn't have certification. Like, really? No, he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't. I mean, th- these people that, that are worshipped, right, as like Robert Parker didn't have certification. I mean, if he did, he wouldn't like such oaked wines. <laughs> oh, but like, you know, the, they don't. It, it, it's, it's, it weird, it's like this weird myth that kind of, again, I know we always go back to this, but like maybe it all started with the fucking Psalm movies. But like it, it's this idea that came out of almost nowhere and all of these organizations that have these certifications all have pushed that they're doing it for the greater good, but they're also doing it for profits, man. Like that's at this point, at this point, come on. And like they all have, you know, testing centers and you have all these big, like organizations that then use them officially as their certification, you know, partner while they also have a wine shop and wine classes and it's just like it's all such bullshit it really (laughs) is and like it doesn't seem to matter like you don't need to do this in food writing excuse joanna but when you when you started working at bon appetit did anyone ask you if you had a um a master's in pasta no but it's so funny there's that food studies program at nyu that a lot of people but like again my friend dan is a professor there yeah but like Again, what Dan has told me most of his students go on to who like are in food studies is they a lot of them go into like marketing and stuff like that. Hmm. You know, they don't go into, you know, they they go work for food companies Mm -hmm. um, and they learn lots about food studies. But, yeah, they they go into different areas of the food world, whether it's, you know, a lot of them. He said at the time, a lot of them were winding up in places like Blue Apron and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, in any other journalism, like there's there's not the certification in in a lot of these other industries. Like if you want to get into you know, lots of different things that are a periphery for this. Like, if you want to have something to do in the spirit space, like, there's not as much of the certification. I mean, I know WC would love if people to take their spirit classes, but it's just not the no, same. The why, same, the same do- happens with food, though, with like culinary degrees. That's true, I guess, but like. But it's also like then that versus practical experience, right? Right. And like if you have a culinary, kitchen. If you have a culinary degree, right, where are you going to wind up in a test kitchen? Right. right. And most of the best people in test kitchens all work the line somewhere. Yep. So, like, they actually have real world experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, it's, yeah, it is just, it, it, 
really frustrates me because it really does seem like such a racket. And I feel bad for people who believe this is the way in. And I feel bad for people who are trying to find their other, another way in that is uh, accessible to them, like just getting real world knowledge, who are challenged and who are yeah. asked, well, do you have this? Why yeah, are you yeah. not pursuing this? That's a good point. I think that's such fucking horseshit. Like, well, I really do. It, especially, you know, I, I'm often sensitive to this because if you don't, if you're someone who's trying to get into fine wine, whether it's on the service side or perhaps even on the sort of writing or media side, and you're not, you don't have the opportunity to have experience working in top restaurants in a few cities, you know, New York, San Francisco, whatever, Vegas, LA, et cetera. There's a segment of the industry that won't take you seriously uh, because you haven't, I don't know, you haven't worked at a place with Michelin stars or you haven't worked at a place that has, you know, a huge wine list, et cetera. And I think the, these accreditation bodies become an attractive alternative for people because even if there's a high cost and even if it involves some travel they are nominally open to anyone anywhere so you don't necessarily have to be in one of these big cities to kind of go through the process or at least to do a lot of the studying and stuff on your own some of the classes and stuff are offered online uh, certainly at the lower levels for wset etc so i do think that there is some space for positive good to come out of these things where they can in some ways make learning about wine more accessible to people who for whatever set of reasons are not somewhere with an incredibly sort of strong and sizable wine scene. But again, while that can happen, I think it's also true that a lot of these, you know, sort of certifying bodies tend to fail those groups too, because they just are not able to provide the kind of educational support that some people think they might, because in the end, these are not really educational bodies in the way that we think of them. And the costs to say nothing of like just of the actual, you know, sort of supply or I'm sorry of the actual classes to say nothing of, you know, material and stuff like that are high. And again, if you're in a smaller market, it can be hard to get access to some of the wines that might be being talked about or whatever to say nothing of finding a tasting group, et cetera. Like all this stuff is really difficult, even in good sized cities and harder in smaller communities. So it's just like, like all things, there's sort of like an idealized version of this that works well. And I just, we're not there. Totally. Well, let us know what you think about certifications. If you uh, have thoughts that are either in agreement with us or <laughs> not in agreement with us, just shoot us a note at podcast.vinebro.com. Let us know if you've done certifications uh, and they have been beneficial to you. I'd love to hear those yeah. stories. And if you've done certifications, you kind of feel the same way Sale is in his article that you know, you're sort of wondering what the whole point was, let us know that too. Again, podcast.vinebro.com. And I will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere if you are listening to this on a device right now through an app however you got this audio please drop a review it really helps everyone else discover the show and now for some totally awesome credits so the vine pair podcast is recorded in our new york city headquarters and in seattle washington in zach Chabal's basement it is recorded by zach mastered and produced by zach he loves all the credit keep giving it to him drop his name in the reviews he's gonna love hearing how much you love him 
It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire VinePair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Shrino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.